0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate
1: to this ministry, please visit Gospelite.org.
0: So I asked Pastor Shane if he would spend some time uh, last week opening up this series. But I want to begin this morning by backing up just a notch. Because uh, I want to ask you a question this morning. What is your, I'm calling this the real meaning of Christmas, this is my favorite Christmas verse... But what's yours? Let me give you some suggestions. You know, a lot of folks, when it comes to favorite Christmas verses, would no doubt choose Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Where the Bible says, thank you, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel that verse will work 365 days a year but there's something about that verse around this time of the year that seems to become even more sacred and special to all of us right here's another maybe verse that you might choose what about Matthew 121 another familiar christmas verse she will bear a son and you shall call his name say it church jesus for he will save his people from their sins another great christmas verse is found in the book of Luke chapter 2 and verse 14 maybe this is yours glory to god in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased now these are some great christmas verses and all of those could preach and all of those could be a part of a christmas series but i'm choosing this morning isaiah 9:6 6 to be a verse that says so much more in it than maybe all the others combined it's so special so powerful last week for to us a child is born and to us a son is given this week and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Now, when you first hear that, you know, at at first you realize that, wait a minute, you know, sometimes I I don't even hear that phrase in that verse. And I agree. I went to the Christmas card store and this verse is found in a lot of Christmas cards around this time of the year, especially at Lifeway and other Christian bookstores, right? But you know what's interesting? is a lot of those cards leave out that phrase. They'll say, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name shall be called. But you see this little phrase, and the government shall be upon his shoulders left out. It's almost as if they're saying, you know what, that's, that's not a real big deal. Let's get to, his name shall be called. And, and that is a big deal, and we'll spend a couple of weeks on that, and it's amazing. But that is not a throw-away phrase. In fact, class, let me ask you a question. Are there any throwaway phrases in Scripture? Good answer. Not one. And so if there are no throwaway phrases in Scripture, I'm not being critical of someone who would leave it out of a verse. Maybe they have a reason. Maybe it's not enough space. I don't know. But I guarantee you one thing. We're not leaving it out of this sermon series. There is so much here. I'm not sure that this truth is not one of the greatest truths in this Advent season, when it comes to the coming of our Savior into this world, this is so important. Let me give you another reason why I believe this is not a throwaway phrase. Because you know, in all the things that Jesus could have reiterated and brought back up, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, you would think maybe he would talk more about that. But can I tell you, oftentimes we forget to look at the verse after the verse we're, we're reading and preaching on. So let's go to verse 7. And of the increase of his government. It's as if the Bible says, wait a minute. Don't leave that phrase out. Because I want to bring that phrase up again. I want to talk about the government of God. The government of my son. Because the increase of that government and that peace, is going there's going to be no end to that. The throne of David over his kingdom, he's going to establish and uphold it in righteousness and justice or justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And here's how God's going to do it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He elaborates on that phrase in that next verse for a whole verse. Kind of makes this message maybe have a little bit more interest. And, you know, uh, I'm not saying I'm looking forward to the next 10 minutes because we got to talk about government for just a little bit, if you don't mind. I'd rather skip this part. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, a church member came up to me and said, your sermon had a slow start, preacher, but it had a good finish. I want to say thank you to that person if you're in the building. Sometimes I do need some critiquing and I do appreciate that because I do get off to some slow starts. But could you could you agree with me for just a moment that that maybe if God brought it back up again, we shouldn't just ignore this phrase and we should not uh, look for something that would be more appetizing to us, but maybe take for a moment and say, hey, listen, this is going to be a strong start and a strong finish because we're talking about something God was very interested in, very uh, profound about. And so let's get right in. Let's, let's get past this difficult subject of what's wrong with human government. Now, you know, I don't think it was an accident. It's interesting. But I didn't think about this until after I got back from Philadelphia. So my boys and I, uh, Mo and, and Zoe, who love the Eagles for whatever reason, they love the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm not sure why they don't love the New Orleans Saints where I'm from. But anyway, they like the Eagles. And so we got tickets to go to the Monday night football game. Uh, in Philadelphia as a kind of a father-son trip and we had a great time. But while we were there, we also took advantage of being in a city that has a lot of historical uh, truth and history uh, in our nation, the city of Philadelphia, which used to be our nation's capital. And we did some great things. We spent a lot of time together, but we also spent a lot of time going to some of these different historical uh, places. For instance, we went to Independence Hall and Liberty Bell and the Congress Hall, and the Museum. My favorite was the Museum of the American Revolution, where we saw George Washington's tent. The original tent uh, that George Washington used during the American Revolution was just an amazing, powerful uh, uh, picture of freedom. And it was just outstanding. And I encourage everyone, if you've never taken that trip down memory lane of the history of our country, our founding fathers in Philadelphia, it would be well worth at least one night and one day in that city just to see some of those things the National Constitution Center is another amazing place and so much of what you're going to hear when it comes to our nation as you listen to it, as you experience it you begin to come up with this I believe fact but definitely this thought that number one, the system is broken that something is not right about our nation now that our system of government is broken big time. And, and really all you have to do is think about our Constitution for just a minute. Begin to kind of look over the, that document and even that, how it starts. We the people. So I want to take just a moment to introduce this. And I'm going to ask for a past president to give me a speech about 30 years ago. Just give us a minute and a half of his speech. And as you listen to a president speak about the nation And it's freedom and the Constitution. Let me say a few words about that first opening phrase in that Constitution and refer to the fact that our system is broken. Here it is. Ronald Reagan.
1: Ours was the first revolution in the history of mankind that truly reversed the course of government and with three little words. We, the people. We, the people, tell the government what to do. It doesn't tell us. We the people are the driver, the government is the car, and we decide where it should go, and by what route, and how fast. Almost all the world's constitutions are documents in which governments tell the people what their privileges are. Our constitution is a document in which we the people tell the government what it is allowed to do. We the people are free. This belief has been the underlying basis for everything I've tried to do these past eight years. But back in the 1960s, when I began, it seemed to me that we'd begun reversing the order of things. That through more and more rules and regulations and confiscatory taxes, the government was taking more of our money, more of our options, and more of our freedom. I went into politics in part to put up my hand and say, Stop. I was a citizen politician, and it seemed the right thing for a citizen to do. I think we have stopped a lot of what needed stopping. And I hope we have once again reminded people that man is not free unless government is limited. There's a clear cause and effect here that is as neat and predictable as a law of physics. As government expands, liberty contracts.
0: Man, when I heard that little speech in light of the fact that I just came back from Philadelphia and experienced this history of our nation. And before you turn me off, this is not a governmental uh, or a Republican or Democrat or political speech. This is a sermon that God brought up in Scripture called, And the Government Shall Be Upon His shoulders." So I thought it'd be a good thing for us to look at our government for just a moment and realize that there's a reason why Jesus is going to come back and take care of all this. Because it's broken. The system is broken. Our constitution starts, we the people, in order to form a what? More perfect union. A more perfect union. In other words, states were separate. And they thought, our founding fathers thought, the framers of the constitution thought that we could be more together than we are separate. There is power in us working together. God says a lot about unity in scripture. God says a lot about the church coming together. One of the reasons why we enjoy being a part of this togetherness in the uh, in the convention is the fact that there are forty seven thousand churches that we're together, and we're not. We have our separate governance, we have our separate autonomous churches, but we come together for the great cause of evangelism around the world. Kind of makes sense. It's exciting, and we can do more together than we could do alone. And that's what our founding fathers thought. We, the people, in order to establish a more perfect union. How's that working? How's it going? Are we together? To establish justice. Justice In Romans chapter 13, it talks about government being there for the purpose of punishing wrongdoers. I mean, that is a deterrent to crime. This is why scripture is clear in Romans 13 about the purpose of government when it comes to a, a nation protecting its citizens from crime. Punishing wrongdoers. And and that's what our founding fathers said in the opening statements of this great document. Then they said to provide for the common defense, to form a military, not necessarily to sail the seven seas and, and to defend the world, but to defend our nation, to form a military for the common defense of our country. And then to secure the blessings of liberty, to protect the freedoms of our country. And then to promote the general welfare, In other words, that no individual can do something that is at the expense of the common good of another. And also to ensure domestic tranquility. That the government would make sure there is order in society and to allow for domestic peace. As I say these things, and as you look at our nation today and see some of what's going on, it seems that the system is broken that our government is broken, that we've gotten away from things that we were founded upon, not to say that it wasn't somewhat broken in the very beginning, but again, just to simply say to you that there are things here that we see that, that help us to understand in just a moment why he's going to put that on his shoulders. And then we think about the branches of government, the executive branch, the, 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 the White House, the president. But our founding fathers said, look, we need three branches, not just an executive branch, but let's have a a a legislative branch that will include our Congress and then our judicial branch that's made up of the court system, beginning with the Supreme Court. And this was intended to be a perfect balance of power, to have checks and balances in our nation, that we don't become a country led by one dictator, but that we have a government that has checks and balances and that doesn't have too much power but enough power to rule the people in a way that would honor God. But the court system is broke. I remember years ago, uh, just an example of that, when I began to realize that things just didn't make sense when out in California there was a Proposition 8 that the people voted on. I remember Pastor Rick Warren out there, I uh, just following him as he led kind of a charge towards that particular legislation and it was basically that marriage would be between a man and a woman It was that way in california and they wanted So they brought up this proposition to keep it that way and and the people voted a majority of the people voted It's it's not between a woman and a woman or a man and a man It's a man and a woman that's marriage and the people voted But the majority of the people voted for that but the supreme court of california said We know the majority of people want that but that's not what's going to happen And I began to realize, as a younger preacher, how does that work? If we, the people, voted and the court system overturned it, something is broken in our system. What am I saying? I'm saying all that to say that not only is the system broken, but secondly, that motives are suspect. Motives are suspect. In other words, how do you know when someone's motives are suspect? Well, when they... When they act in self-interest. It's why it's so hard to get things done in Washington because 48% of those that are elected are lawyers. And so it's really tough to get tort reform and finance, uh, financial campaign spending reform and all these things because they're acting in self-interest. Maybe, I don't know their motives. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's fame. Maybe it's to advance their personal agenda. But can I give you another Ronald Reagan quote? He said this, and I quote, the most terrifying words in the English language are these. I'm from the U.S. government. And I'm here to help you. Well, enough of that. Let me give you the third thing and I move on. Hearts are sinful. The system is broken. Motives are suspect and hearts are sinful. Unrighteousness is the rule of the day. So now we've discovered what's wrong with human government. Okay, let's let's get that behind us. Because I sure don't want to lose you. How do we fix it? Let's get to the solution. Why did he say in this passage and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Well, I think what we learn here is, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon whose shoulders? His. Who's his? Jesus. So the answer to the reason why the government is broken is Jesus Christ. And that's why in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, he basically said that trust God and not human government. We are not putting our faith and trust in Washington. We are putting our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. Washington doesn't save us, but Jesus can save us. And our our hope does not rest on the president or on the next president or on any diplomatic savvy or on a change of political landscape. Our hope is, according to Isaiah 9-6, it's in Jesus. He's our hope, not the government. He made a promise. He said, There's coming a day when I'm going to put that on my shoulders. Now, we use the term shoulder to describe the carrying of weight, don't we? I mean, for instance, uh, when I exercise once a week, <laughs> that's it. Uh, oftentimes, uh, from time to time, I'll, I'll exercise my legs and I'll do this little leg press thing where the guy that helps me says, All right put this on your shoulder and carry this as you uh, work your legs and your shoulders out. And so I carry the weight with my shoulder. Oftentimes we say things like this. Can you put your shoulder into that? Or we might say do you mind if I put my head on your shoulder? Put your head on my shoulder. woo Woo! Whisper in my ear, baby. Anyway, and uh, That's just, my dad used to sing that song and it just kind of came to me. But anyway, um, sorry, it it sounded better in the first service. But um, do you mind if I lean on your shoulder? Have you ever heard someone say this? I I just don't think he can shoulder that. We, We use that term shoulder oftentimes to talk about carrying weight. So when we talk about Jesus in Isaiah 9, 6, he says he's going to put the government Upon his shoulder. We're saying this about Jesus. That he can carry us all. That no matter how bad it gets in this world. There is no limit to what he can carry. So the question is, what will it be like when the government is upon his shoulders? Well, let me tell you something right now. If you are a child of God, if you hear this right, it's going to excite you. If you're a child of God, you all are already a citizen of heaven. All right. Three or four of you are excited about that. I mean, that's, pretty, that's pretty exciting. If, if some of you are kind of critical, well, I don't know why are you talking about, uh, uh, you know, this is church. Why are we talking about America? Well, we're not talking about it anymore. We're talking about heaven now. Amen. If you weren't excited about the first part, get excited about the second part because the truth of the matter is if you are a child of God, you already are a citizen of heaven. I know it's old-fashioned, but this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Heaven is my home. Heaven is my country. Heaven is where I belong. And this is a future reality. There's four characteristics of the kingdom that we're talking about here. This kingdom that we That we talk about even in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come. What is this government and what are characteristics of this kingdom? In Isaiah chapter 9 in verse 7, he goes on to give us four characteristics. And I want to spend the rest of my time on those four characteristics. Number one, the kingdom is a kingdom of permanence. God's kingdom is a kingdom of permanence. And I want you to look at that first part of verse number 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. No end. Listen, there are no term limits in heaven. It's not four years and, well, Jesus, you know, we're just not sure. And I think, I think I'd like to you know, run against you for that position. No voting in heaven. No elections in heaven. It, it, of his kingdom, there will be no end. Amen. We're going to have one king forever. And when Christ returns and peace is established, the more he rules, trust me, the more you will want him to rule. Because he's going to rule in perfection. Oh, it's a kingdom of permanence. We're celebrating this Christmas that the government will be upon his shoulders. We're not throwing that phrase out. We're not ignoring that phrase. We're not saying, well, I don't know enough. Of it. No, no, let's talk about that phrase. Let's, let's raise that phrase to a new level of understanding. This is big league stuff. For to us, a child is born. He was born to be a savior, but that's just the first advent. That was just his first coming. But his second coming, he is coming again, not to be a savior, but to be a king. And he's going to rule and he's going to reign in Permanence. Turk, there's coming a day when there's going to be a different government, a different set of rules, a, a different, a, a different way of justice and righteousness. It's gonna be amazing. And it's a kingdom of permanence. Number two, and I love this it's a kingdom of promise. You know, God's word is made up of promises, and if you think about it, that's a promise. I mean, God said to us, a child is born. This is Old Testament. To us, a child is born and to us, a son is given. And that's, that worked out pretty good, didn't it? Amen. Was a child born? Yes. Was a son given? Yes. We've been enjoying that for about what 2,000 years. Hallelujah. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, the fulfillment of scripture was amazing in that God promised that a son, a child would be born, that a son would be given. God gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him will have what? Everlasting life, eternal life. Are not you and I thankful for that? We're grateful that Jesus came. That first advent, he was born. But the second advent is this. That the government shall be upon his shoulders. He came the first time as a a child, born as a baby in Bethlehem's manger. He died a sinless life on a cruel cross. He rose again for our redemption. But he's coming again. There's another advent, and that advent is going to be when the government is upon his shoulders. It's a kingdom of permanence, a kingdom of promise. Think about the promise he made back in Genesis chapter 3. The first promise of salvation was that the serpent would bruise the heel, but thank God that that he would crush the head of the serpent. And when it mentions that, it's talking about Jesus who would come and die, but that he would conquer death, hell, and the grave. And he crushed the head of the serpent, and as a result of that, you and I have been given salvation. And that promise was passed down to Jacob. And then uh, in first, Second Samuel, rather, chapter number 7, in verse 16, we see, and let me read real quick. First of all, I forgot to read the little phrase in your notes that brings this thought much, much more powerful to us. It's a kingdom of promise. Look at that next phrase in verse 7. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. And that, that again is a very important phrase in Scripture, because we think about this throne of David in terms of not so much David's throne, but that throne that's been established is the throne on which Jesus is going to sit on. Look at the prophecy here in Second Samuel chapter seven. It says, "And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever." And then in Luke chapter one verse thirty-one or thirty-two. He'll be called, or rather, he'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Do you see the fulfillment of Scripture there? In verse 33, it goes on to say, And it'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Sounds like familiar words, doesn't it? Because it's prophecy fulfilled, it's God keeping his promise. Anytime you hear the words prophecy fulfilled, you can just add the word promise to that. God kept his promise. How important is that for you and for me to know that the fulfillment of scripture is a a God who will never lie, who will always do what he said he would do. He keeps his promise. What I want you to see in this is that God has made a lot of promises and you can trust him. You can't trust government, but you can trust God. We, We serve a God who's aware of every promise that he has made and he is absolutely reliable to the letter. I don't know where you're at in your life today, but I would imagine there's some people here that are struggling around this time of the year with really believing that, you know, maybe that, that God is good or that God has got your best interest in mind or that God truly cares for you. It seems that the present around this time of the year becomes something that maybe we all deal with to a, to a certain extent. Things as the joy of the Lord becomes more focused on in song and in, in our worship service and the message is is positive and we talk about the the birth of a child, which is a wonderful thing that we struggle with all of our at times with our faith. But I want you to know God's keeping his promise. He's coming again. And all this stuff that we're concerned about and hear about on Fox News and on Wall Street and around the world and war and all the things that at times tempt to discourage us and to defeat us, can I remind you that there is coming a day when all that will be over and God will establish his kingdom. Why? Because he promised he would. The government is going to be upon his shoulders. Number three, it's a kingdom of permanence. It's a kingdom of promise. It's a kingdom of perfection. Notice that next statement, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. And again, from this time forth and forevermore, it's amazing how often God reminds us Okay, I'm going to do this forever. I mean, over and over again. God, God loves doing things for a long time. He's not a quitter. What he starts, he finishes. And here he says, I'm going to do this forever. I'm going to establish a kingdom, and it's going to be with justice and with righteousness. Every time you see God doing something, he does it with balance. It's not too harsh, but it's not too soft. Justice. Perfection. Think about it. The right established and upheld always and immediately. Let me ask you a question. Is that America? The right established always and immediately. I mean, sometimes I hear about somebody who committed murder and 30 years later, it's still in the court system and nothing's taken care of and it's still, and I don't understand it all, but I can tell you this, justice is not being upheld in our country. And all that to say there's coming a day when justice will be upheld always and immediately. A kingdom is coming where he's going to reign with justice, but but not too harsh. He's also going to reign in righteousness. This is our future. And when we say the Lord's Prayer together, and I have just a portion of it on the screen, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're speaking of that government that's upon his shoulders when he says the government shall be upon my shoulders He's talking about his kingdom. And so when you and I pray thy kingdom come thy will be done We're ultimately saying god This is not an empty prayer This is a prayer that's saying god. I can't wait till you come and establish your kingdom on this earth perfection Justice and righteousness That's going to be a good day church that's that's what key, listen this is what this is what ought to keep a lot of us excited about our, our citizenship in heaven is that that citizenship is going to be permanent it's going to be per- perfect and it's going to be forever it's a promise of god we can claim that we can believe it that day is coming soon and then finally it's a kingdom of power it's a kingdom of power it says here the last phrase the zeal of the lord of hosts is going to do this and I love this because, you know, this kind of, this kind of a verse, this, this statement, if you will, I don't know, it, 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 uh, and I'm not trying to take it out of context. I don't think I am actually, but it, it, it really enthuses me quite a lot that, that, that God said his zeal is going to do this. This is really good for us hyperactive preachers. The word zeal is a good word. We like that word. We're glad that God uses that word. It, you know, it's another word for enthusiasm, if you will. I mean, there's a, there's a strong meaning behind the word zeal. In fact, in Titus chapter 2, God talks about at his coming, he would like to see his people have some zeal. To be ready, to be watching, to be waiting. To be working, to be laboring as, he, as we wait for Jesus to return. And so he says the zeal of God's going to do this. Now, what is this zeal? Well, three ways to understand God's zeal begins with this. First of all, it's not because he can. Can God do anything? Yes. Amen? But it's not because he can here. That would be his ability. And it's not because he said. And if Jesus says it, it's going to happen. I mean, God said it. I believe it. That settles it, right? But it's not because he said it. That would be his integrity. It's because of his zeal it's because he cares he's passionate about this church. He wants this more than you do He wants to come more than you do He wants to come and establish his kingdom more than you do why because he cares No one ever cared for me like jesus god cares so much god's passionate about this You know what this makes me want to be more passionate about living for him around this time of the year, the greatest time of the year to speak the gospel into people's lives, to invite people to church. Think about it. Do you have that zeal this morning? Is there a passion, a zeal in your life right now that is looking forward to what's going to take place next Sunday where the Christmas choir sings and we begin to celebrate the birth of Christ at a level with music and speak again the word of God into the lives of people and and, and see folks maybe come to know Christ as their Savior. Does that excite you or is it more about Santa Claus and the tree and the gifts? You see, we've got to get our zeal back. We've got to care about what matters to God. Because God cares so much about us. And what's going to do this? The government's going to be upon His shoulders. Here's what's going to do it ultimately is the zeal of the Lord is going to do this. It's because He cares so much for you. That's why He shouldered the cross. He carried the weight of the cross on His shoulder all the way to Calvary. Why? Because He cared. Because He cared. Because He loved you. And this morning, I... I want to encourage all of us to not just receive that love, but also let's share that love with others. What a great time of the year to do that. This is is unlike any other time of the year. Really, it is. It's easier to talk to people about Jesus, and I don't want us to miss that opportunity. I wonder how many of us might consider this morning in the invitation, just taking a moment where we're seated or at the altar and just saying, God, I want to commit to sharing the gospel with somebody this week. At least in the form of an invitation to come with me to church, to be here. You know what was so beautiful about Carrie's wedding yesterday? Carrie Cooney, my secretary, got married. And what was the most beautiful part of the wedding was when I was able to share that Chris was standing there as her groom because at Regions Bank she invited him to come to church. And that invite turned into... Chris going through discipleship with me, getting saved in my office, getting baptized here at Gospel Light, and getting married yesterday. Because somebody cared. Cared enough just to invite somebody to church.
1: I love that. Isn't that
0: cool? I love that. That's awesome. And I, I and I know we're clapping for Jesus. I know we are because God's the one that put that in, carry, that zeal to, to say, you know actually he was flirting with her he kept asking her every time she'd go to the bank you know hey what are you doing tonight and every time she just kept saying things about church well what I'm doing is I'm going to this activity I'm going to church tomorrow I'm going and finally he came and he got saved and he got baptized and he got married to the woman that invited him the beauty of that story is the beauty of this story and that is this the zeal of the Lord will perform this and you and I have an opportunity while we're living here to have that zeal To be excited. See, I'm not a freak show. I'm really not. I mean, I'm really not. I'm just, I'm really just excited about Jesus. And I really am excited about His government that's gonna have no end. And I'm really pumped it's not gonna have a Republican party or a Democrat party or a Libertarian party, God forbid. It's gonna have a government that's ruled and reigned by Jesus under His set of rules and, and, and His grace and his justice and his righteousness isn't that cool I tell you what we won't have any questions when he's in charge we'll just be like yes sir we'll like it every day we'll love it every day more and more and so I challenge you this morning do you want his kingdom to come do you long for that day to come I do but until it comes Until even so, Lord Jesus comes, would you join me and him in having zeal for God? Zeal for the gospel. Zeal for inviting people to come hear the gospel. Zeal for sharing the love of Jesus. Let's just have zeal as we wait and watch and even work until the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who has the government upon his shoulders? He can carry us. He's got this. There are no limits to what he can bear. It's okay. We're citizens of heaven. It's all good. I promise, because he promised. Every head bowed, every eye closed, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Oh, is it going to be easier to preach on wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace? Probably. Probably, to be honest. But I didn't want to throw away this phrase. I just felt like there was something to this phrase that was going to mean something to us like it's never meant before. You know, going to Philadelphia last week was really cool. Honestly, it was awesome. Man, it made me love my country more. It did. I appreciate our nation. I I was just totally amazed at our history and the faith of our founding fathers, it was so incredible. My boys and I enjoyed it more than probably the game. Well, not that much, but we did enjoy it. But you know what? As I got back and started finishing this sermon and putting the final touches on this, I got to thinking, man, God, our country really is a mess. (laughs) So I sure am glad you're going to fix it. And it's not this country he's going to fix. It's when his kingdom comes. And he rules and reigns. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. And a new government. With him as king. Forever. It's going to be great. I don't have it all figured out. I really don't. I don't think anybody does. But I know this. I know enough to know that he's promised it. And it's going to be awesome. And so if you're here today and, 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 and God is calling you to himself. And you you'd like to come to Christ this morning and establish your faith in Him. We encourage you. That's why we're here up front. That's why we are standing and praying. And just, we're here to pray with you. We're here to talk with you about any decision that you'd like to make this morning. There maybe others, you've made a commitment to Christ, but it's been a while since you've had zeal, excitement. It's been a while since you've been enthusiastic about the thought that He's coming again, and and you just want to do all you can before he comes to spread the gospel in in an urgent way because i'm telling you church he could come any moment and we've got some time left but i don't know how much time it may be an hour maybe 30 minutes it may be a year 10 years i have no clue but i know this jesus is coming again and until he comes may we have zeal 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 to share the love of jesus with others I hope that you've sensed I've had some zeal this morning because I sure am excited about what God's doing in my life, in this church, in your life. And I pray that as God begins to work in this invitation for just a few moments before we close, that you would take advantage of this opportunity to, to let the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit teach you what you need to do about what's been said. And prayerfully, it's at least... At least it's to spread the gospel this week. To invite somebody to church, to make an effort to introduce somebody to Jesus. Father, I love you. I thank you again for the opportunity to share this wonderful word with our people. Thank you, God, for Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Thank you for the fulfillment of that scripture and that prophecy that you sent your son to die for our sins and save us. And Lord, that prophetic kingdom that's coming and going to be established and rule and reign forever God I'm anticipating some amazing things but until then God may we be faithful may we be zealous to good works I love you Lord bless this invitation and if there's anybody here under the sound of my voice that does not know you as their personal Savior may today be the day that they reach out and accept your loving forgiveness for their sins in Jesus name Amen shall we stand with everyone standing, if God is calling you to the front or calling you to pray or to make a decision, you take that time right now to do that. Let's worship.